right, if you have your Bibles, you can grab those. First John chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. First John chapters 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 15 here in a few uh, moments. Um, just want to remind you real quick to continue to pray for Eric uh, and Catherine and their family, their parents, um, as they have, uh, they had COVID and so they're recovering there but doing, doing well. So continue to pray for them. Um, also, uh, be praying for Franklin and Lindsay as Franklin uh, Hang got married last, uh, yesterday evening. And so we're excited uh, to celebrate uh, him and Lindsay coming together as one. So be praying for them. And then uh, New Life, we'll just continue to watch, continue to look uh, and look at making some sort of a decision toward the end of the month when we'll regather again. Uh, but what we want to do is just hopefully, no more of this on-off, on-off, but we'll be able just to gather uh, and be able to get together and just continue to get momentum and continue to get back to uh, normal, whatever that means and looks like from this point on. And so, um, third week, uh, as we start our series, uh, What in the World, three weeks ago, um, and it's just a phrase that you usually hear, a phrase that you'll hear said whenever there's something that uh, is about to happen that doesn't make sense, or something that's about to take uh, place, or is taking place that just isn't normal, isn't right, something that um, may appear to be off, or whatever the deal is, uh, but you see that, and you, that thought just runs through your head, what in the world? And it's usually followed with a, uh, a bunch of questions or maybe a Google search or pulling out your phone to get ready and capture whatever it is that's taking place because you know that it's not normal or it's not right or whatever the case may be. You just want to check and see what is happening and you want to have this to be able to go back and look at just in case you ever need to go back and see what it was that took place. And so uh, my hope that through this series... That all the things that we've already looked at that we'll be able to kind of uh, have a base to go back to, a place that we can land at, a place that we can go back and have a foundation to really just land at and see what's really happening, see the deeper issues because I believe the things that are going on in our world, the things that are happening in our world, whenever we say that, whenever we ask that question, what in the world, they're just symptoms of a deeper issue. They're just symptoms of what's really going on at the core of the heart of people in this world. And my hope for us as we look through this series, as we walk through this series, is to give you a foundation to stand upon, to give you a place to be able to go back and to be able to, to look and see and give you a greater understanding at a deeper level of what's really, really taking place in our world. So last week we were in Romans 5, 12, uh, starting in verse cha chapter 5, starting in verse 12 through 21. And we just talked at length about the origin of our sin, where it came from, what happened. And we looked at how sin and death was ushered in because of Adam's disobedience, because Adam didn't listen to what God said, because Adam rebelled there in the garden. And as a result of his sin and his disobedience, it's imputed upon all mankind. And so we talked at length about how the law did not introduce sin into the world, but what the law did is it identified the sin that Adam had already introduced. That it identified and it pointed out and it made known. And so everything seemed like doom and gloom until we see in verse 15 that God gives us free gift by the grace that he has offered in the one named Jesus. And he gives that free gift of grace. And so Jesus' act of righteousness leads to justification in life to all people that enter into relationship by way of faith in his redemptive work on the cross. So as a result of what Christ did, we can be declared righteous. We can be made whole. We can be made right as it pertains to relationship with God. And that, we see that introduced by Jesus last week. So when we look at our world and we ask that question, that gut-wrenching question, what in the world? 
The place that we landed, the place that we get to is because of Adam's sin. Adam's sin has been imputed to all mankind. Every single one of us has, has as a result of just being born, we're born sinful. And so the world is like it is because sin enters and it messes up everything and it enters through us. We bring it with us because of who we are. And so if you missed that talk last week or any of the talks in this series, I mean, I just want to encourage you to be sure and log on. You can check it out on our website. You can check it out on our app. But I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd pray with us one more time before we, we jump in and we look at what God's got for us this morning. So uh, join me as we pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for this morning. Father, I just pray that you would speak. God, I pray that you would make your presence known in this place. Father, I pray, God, that you would just um, move in a mighty, mighty way. God, as this is, as I've said over and over this morning already, this isn't ideal. But God, this, this is where you've allowed us to be in this season as a church. And so, Father, we just, we want to make the most of everything that you've given us and God, everything that you've allowed us to be a part of and do. And so, Father, as we continue to proclaim your good news, Father, I pray that, that through this, hearts would be set free. Father God, that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty, mighty way. And God, draw us all the closer to you. God, educate us and help us to learn and understand and know. God, how to be, what to do, how to act, how to react, all of those type of things. Give us a greater knowledge and desire for the things of you. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So what in the world? What in the world? I mean, if you just step back for a moment, you just look at the world, you just look at how everything's going, where things seem to be heading, all of that type of stuff. I mean, you just ask that question, where did all of this sin come from? Where did all of this sin come from? How, the Bible vaguely speaks of how the first sin came into being, how the first sin comes into the world. And so there's this event that took place even before the fall that, we're, uh, that we encountered uh, last week, that we looked at last week, that where sin enters, even before that, you have this evil lying tempter in the garden and not a word is said about where this serpent comes from not a word leading up to it do you see and so the new testament identifies this tempter as satan revelation 12 tells us and it refers in passing to angels who left their position jude 1 and fell under god's judgment second peter 2 but we're told nothing about how the first actual sin of the universe occurred there's no in-depth detail, there's no uh, a backstory, there's none of that. There's just little pieces that we can put together and we can see what's taking place. And as I think about it and as I look about it, uh, I'm just blown away by this great mystery of why you have this angelic being in the presence of God, why he would ever cease to delight in God, and why he would chase after his own joy and self-esteem over God's. And so you have the ultimate original sin that is shrouded in the darkness of eternity past with little detail. And so I want to look this morning at what in the world we need to be aware of as we process all that is happening, all that is taking place in our world. In our church, we, we've, we've got a gentleman named uh, Mark, and uh, Mr. Mark um, does some stuff with our children's ministry from time to time, and, and Mr. Mark can do magic tricks. And so I just love it. Like, I'll watch my two little guys um, every Sunday when they see Mr. Mark, they'll run up to him and they'll want to see him do a magic trick. And Mr. Mark is so gracious and loving with our kids. He does it for our children's ministry sometimes. Uh, but, but Mr. Mark will always carry in his pocket some sort of something to be able to do a magic trick with. And, and so just in a moment's notice, you ask him and he can pull out a coin and he's doing this thing. And as he's doing it, he, he, he makes it disappear all the while keeping his hands in front of you the whole time. 
And, and I know my little boys love it, but I think that I am kind of more enthronged by it than they are. And so I'll watch him and I'll just take it in and I'll just check it out. And I'm like, uh, Mr. Martin, one more time. And he'll do it again and I'll really be focused in and honed in on it. And he'll make something disappear or he'll take something away and it'll reappear in their ear. I mean, shucks, he'll, he'll do it to me and I am just like, I, I'm like geeked up about it. I, I'm like, this is so crazy. Like I'm a 36-year-old man and I'm like falling apart over it. It's just amazing to watch him do this. And I'm like, do it again, do it again, one more time, just one more time. And so he'll do it again and I'll be just as geeked up about it the second time as I was the first because what I'm doing is in that process, the whole time, I'm trying to figure out how in the world, what, how's he doing that? How does he make that coin in this hand appear in this hand and then appear in my ear? How is he making it disappear and come back around here? He'll take a rubber band and he'll, and he'll, he'll suck it up his nose and then it comes back. I'm like, how in the world? And I just get so captivated by that. And so I tell that story to say, I, I hope that's where we're at as believers. I hope that's the very place that we are as followers of Jesus. As we look at this world and as we try to process and take in everything that's happening, as we try to see and, and understand at a greater level what's happening, we're trying to figure out all the more, okay, what is God up to? We're trying to figure out all the more, okay, what is, what is man up to? What is fallen man, sinful man up to? What is, what is the church up to? What are we as the body of Christ up to? What are we to be doing and how, how do we need to be reacting in this moment? I just feel like that's kind of where we're at in our world. Just trying to process what in the world is going on. And so I believe this morning's text will, will help us all the more as believers do that very thing, to be able to process, to be able to really see at the core, uh, uh, below the surface of what's really happening. And so this morning's text is going to begin with the command. And it's the only command that we're going to see in this text, and I believe it's the, the main point, but this is what the scripture says in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, this is what John says. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. There's the command. He tells believers not to do something. The command given. I mean, I just think of, of, of God in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he says, do not do something. And what do they do? They do the opposite. And so here, what we see in the text is a command given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit as John pins this letter to not do something. And the very thing that he says is not love the world or the things in the world. Seems pretty simple, don't it? Seems pretty easy. I mean, it's just a straightforward. There's, there's not a lot to it. Just don't do this. Don't love the world or the things in the world. That's it. I mean, I mean what in the world? What, what does that mean? What, what does this love for the world mean? And so in this verse, when we see that word love, it means this commitment of wanting. It, it means a longing or deep desire for. So, so what John says is do not have a longing or a wanting or a deep desire for the things of this world. Just don't do it. As a follower of Jesus, our heart needs to be bent toward him and for him, not for the world. And so he's gonna tell us what's, what's missing if we have this love for the world. As he continues, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, church, did you catch that? If anyone loves the world, has that desire, that longing, that yearning, that wanting for the world. says that the love of the Father is not in him. So God 
and not the world must have first place in our heart. God, not the world. For every believer, that's what John says. Love for the world pushes out God and love for God pushes out the world. They're in contradiction of one another. They're in battle of one another. So, so when we say what in the world, what we see happening in our world is this, is a love for it, is a desire for it, is a longing for the things of the world over a longing for the things of God. Th- that's what we see taking place and happening in our world right now. But when you look at it and you wonder how in the world, why in the world would someone do that? Why in the world would, would this happen? Why would that take place? Why are people acting like they're acting? Because they've got a love for the world and not God. That's what John tells us here is that, is that they've misplaced, they've put their love for, for something in the wrong place. And so this is what sin does. Sin manipulates and sin draws you in. It causes you to want and to desire and to love things that are contrary to God. And so what I'm saying here is that there's not times in my life or probably times in your life as a believer where where things get mixed up a little bit or there's this battle where we're drawn toward worldly stuff. I, I mean, I look at my life often and I pray and ask God, okay, God, where are areas of my life that looks worldly? Where are areas of my life that, that, that looks like I'm chasing after or I have a strong desire for something of this world and I beg God, break my heart, convict me, draw me to you all the more, show me those sins in my life that I need to repent of, that I need to, uh, to, to kill and destroy, that I need to, to love and value and want you far more than anything else. But what I would say this morning, church, is this, is that our life as a believer had better not be characterized by our love for the things of this world. Because that's in direct opposition of God. And I think what scares me about the church today, and when I say church, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about those who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to have crossed from death to life. What scares me today about church and the believers is that there appears to be a love for this world way too much. That there's this desire for the things of the world. And what I would say is this, is that we can't love the world and we can't love God at the same time. There's no room for that. The reason is because love for this world excludes love for God. It wants nothing to do with love for God. Because they're in direct opposition. And so it's empty talk to say that you love God if you love what's not of God. I mean, that's crazy talk to say that you love God, but that you also love things that are contrary to God. That makes absolutely no sense. That we would say that we love God with everything in us and that we want God with everything in us, but we would chase after everything that is, that is opposite or contradictory of or doesn't even look like or represent. And what John tells us is that that's not right. That's not good. It's empty talk. See, Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. You can't have two masters. You can only have one. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he goes on to say this. He says that you can't serve God and money. And so what Jesus is saying is this. Don't love the world. Because that will become your master. And if you love the world, then you can't love God. Because you can't serve two masters. Either the world or God, that's it. That's, that's how it goes. You can't have both. So don't love the world. Because the Bible says that it's by no means a good place to be in land. 
And so if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I mean, that, that should rock us. Church, that, that should hit us. I, I mean, I think that's compelling enough reason for us not to love the world because if we love the world, then what it looks like is that we don't love God. And what our heart and our love and our affections and our devotion should be for is God. He goes on in verse 16, he says this, he says, for, for all that is in the world, what he's saying here is that the philosophies and the ideologies and all that it offers may appear attractive and appealing, but really in the end what it is, is it's just deceptive. That's what it is, it just sucks you in. The world's nature is evil and it's harmful and it's contrary to God. And it brings about death. God brings about life. The world brings about death. And that's what it does. Because the world is in opposition of God. And it uses that system to hold men captive by sin and pleasure. For all that's in the world. Every philosophy and ideology. All of that brings about death. Brings about distance and separation from God. And then he's going to go on in and he's going to give us three examples of what that looks like. He says, he says this, for all that is in the world, first the desires of the flesh, the, the lust of the flesh is what he says. And so what this is doing is he's just referring to the, to the sin nature of man, the rebellious self that is, uh, that is dominated by sin in opposition to God. So what do you long for? What does this flesh want and yearn and have to have and want to go after? What brings it pleasure? What, what, what feels right and good? Those type of ideologies is what he's talking about. Man, man the flesh, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be in uncomfortable situations. So, so does that mean in that if I don't like to be in uncomfortable situations and I can do whatever I need to do to get out of those? And that's okay? But it just makes my little heart happy. Is that what I run after? Or, or do I engage, do I come full, uh, full forth with what I need to do as, as God would call me to engage in those things even though my, my flesh longs for something different from time to time? We run after God. We, we, we don't desire the lust of the flesh because that's the world. That's not God. The heart bent toward God desires God. The second illustration he gets is this, is for all that is in world he says the desires of the eyes the desires of the eyes see the eyes are this strategic avenue of that incites wrong desires is what it does I, I mean if you look back at the very beginning of creation you have satan there in the beginning doing this with eve does he not as he engages her in conversation and then he gets her to the point to just look at that tree eve just just check out that tree right there is that not good for food and the scriptures tells us that it was pleasing to the eye. So what does Satan do? He gets her attention on something that looks pleasurable. A desire of the eye. Because if we'll just look at it for a moment, if we'll just gaze upon it for a second, and it'll permeate our heart, which will permeate our mind, which will cause us to act upon the very thing that we look at, that we think that we have to have which is in direct opposition to God for all that is in the world, desires of the eyes. And is that not the current state of our world? I mean, our world just sees something and what does it do? It just goes after it, does it not? I, mean, I just see it, I gotta have it, I want it, I need it. I mean, is that not what advertising's all about? I mean, I mean, think about it for a second. 
I mean, the next best thing is coming out five minutes after you just bought the previous next be- last best thing. But if you see this new one, you'll, you'll think you'll want it and you'll have to have it. And so what happens, our heart longs for a while because we see it and it looks pleasurable. And we, yes, I need that. You're right, I need that. I need 10 more sweaters. Why not? It's summer. I need sweaters. And so we see it and we look at it and then we run after it. For all that's in the world, desires are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then he ends at this place in verse 16 right here. He says, in the pride of life. And so when he uses this phrase, it has this idea of arrogance over one's circumstances, which produces a parading around and a bragging on one's position or circumstances to try to impress others. So it's pride, it's arrogance. It's parading around and it's like, look, look at me, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, look at how hard I've worked, look, look at what I've got, I'm, I've won up. Like you, you tell a story, but then my story will be one greater than yours. It's that thought of pride of life. It's that thought of arrogance and parading and bragging. And so all three of these examples of worldly desires do what? They deal with self. They, they point out the flaw of the heart. And man, it's, it's self. It's me, me, me. What makes me happy? What do I enjoy? What gives me pleasure? What makes me feel good about me? And so that kind of heart is anti-God and full of the world. That kind of heart is against God and full of the world. And so John's going to tell us here at the end of verse 16 that none of these things is of God or honoring to God. As he says, this is all of that, that for, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. Those three struggles, those three realities are in opposition to God because they're of the world. They're of the ideologies and the ways of the world, the, the, the way the stream is flowing. And we as believers are called to go counterstream. We're, we're, to, we're to paddle upstream, which is hard and which is difficult and which is frustrating. And to all I would say yes. So church, if I can encourage you, what we see right now, the current world and the situation and the circumstances that we're a part of is just simply this. The stream is just getting stronger going one direction. But we as the church have got to fight against it. We've got to get in our boats and we've got to paddle with everything in us upstream and against what this world stands for. Because it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And see, John could have rested his case there. He could have ended with verse 16 and been done. Don't love the world because love for the world cannot coexist with love for God. You can't love both. You can't have both. You you love the one and hate the other. You love the one and despise the other. Because God is completely against love for the world. Because he knows what it does. He knows what it brings about. He knows what it accomplishes. And it's everything opposite of him. So John could have ended there. But he doesn't. He keeps on. And this is what he says in verse 17. He says this. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. There it is. There it is. There's the truth. Like if you just follow the world long enough... If you just look at it and observe and assess for for long enough the true desires and the true heart behind the world, you see what's happening. 
And John reminds the believers here, the world is passing away. With its longings, with its yearnings, with its wants, it's all passing away. And so to set your heart upon it only brings about heartache and misery. That's what it does. Because you can never have enough. You can never accumulate enough. It can never be great enough. It can never be big enough. There's always something else coming. There's always uh, something just waiting in the wind. Something bad ready to happen around every corner. I mean, it, it just won't accomplish anything. And so not only is the world passing away, but so is the lusts of it, the longing and yearnings of it. And so if you share the desire of the world, you'll pass away. If you're in that and a part of that, you'll pass away. You'll not just lose your treasure, but you'll lose your life. I mean, think about it for a moment, how quickly things wear out and fade away and how fads come and go and how uh, uh, principles come and go. I mean, but the truth of God stands firm forever. I mean, just think about that for a moment. You don't only lose your treasure, but you lose your life. So if you love the world, it'll pass away and what it'll do is it'll take you with it. It'll take you with it. But he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I love that. He, he gives us the harsh reality, the harsh news, the difficulty where he says the world's passing away and so is its desires. He says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You love God, you seek after him, you follow him, you do his will, you abide forever. And so the opposite of loving the world is not only loving the Father, but also doing the will of the Father. I mean, it's easy to say that you love with no action, but, but that's not what this verse indicates here. This type of love produces an action in the heart of those who possess it. Did you get that? This love, it produces an action in the heart. It brings about an action those who possess this kind of love, this love for God, contrary to love for the world, it produces an action in the heart of that person. I mean, it would be like me saying, yes, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I'm for Jesus, but I never do anything for him. I just say that I love him and I'll attend church every once in a while and I'll get the t-shirts from time to time and I may pick up the Bible, I may not, but I'll, I'll look at it and I'll, and I'll just do that and then go on with it but I never do I never tell my neighbor about it I never let it transform me and change me where I'm uh, more giving more compassionate more caring more like Jesus less like this world it's just crazy to think that that, that could be the case but, but what John indicates and shows us is that it's more than just lip service it's more than just saying the nice right thing. It's living it out. See, true, real love for Jesus doesn't just say it and not produce anything in the life of the one who, who possesses that love for Jesus. With it brings about an action. With it brings about a change. See, Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commands. See, if you love me, you'll follow after me. If you love me, then you will do what I say. If you love me, you'll follow my will. Which is contrary to the will of this world. Which is contrary to the way that this world's going. 
So loving the Father in verse 15 and doing the will of God in verse 17, they're not separate things. They're not different things, but rather a continuation of expressing and walking in that love. And so as the band comes back up to to lead us in a moment of response, what we see this morning in this text is a text that contains a commandment and then, then you see three supporting arguments. The commandment was simple. It was this, don't love the world or the things of the world. Just don't do it. Fight against it with everything in you. If you belong to Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit in you that's going to lead you to him, that's going to draw you to him. Fight against the fleshly desires of this world. Don't love the world or the things of it. Men, men love Jesus, value him, want him, long for him, yearn for him. Not the things of this world. And then the first argument is this. If you love the world, you don't love God. It's as simple as that. If you love the world, you don't love God because you can't love both. You can't love both. And hear me, whenever my, whenever my heart and my flesh starts to, to drift that way, because hear me, church, it drifts. You drift. We drift that way. I mean, we're still battling. Yes, I'm a new man. I'm a new creation. But I've got to kill that old because I'm still encapsulated in this fallen fleshly body. Though I've been made new, I've still, I'm still wasting away. And this flesh longs for fleshly things from time to time. And so I have to discipline, I have to beg God, I have to repent, I have to, uh, to run away from and run to God. So when that happens, man, run to Jesus. Because you can't love both. And the thing I love about the Father is this, is that he will lovingly remind me, it's God. It's God. And you say he loved me. It doesn't look like love for me, does it? And in that moment when he convicts and he points out, as a loving father, I run back to him. I say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's not representative of you. That doesn't look like you. Oh, God, would you give me an awful taste for the things of this world? Oh, God, turn my heart all the more back to you. The second argument you see in here is this, is if you love the world, you'll perish with the world. I mean, think about that for a moment. If you love the world, you're going to perish with it. And everything that it has to offer, because it doesn't offer eternal life. It offers pleasures for a moment. It gives false promises that it never fulfills. It shows you the glitz and the glamour of things, all the while leaving you empty and chasing after more and more and more. So if you love the world, you'll perish with it. And then the third argument that he gives this morning is this, is that if you love God instead of the world, you'll live with him forever. If you love God and not the world, you'll live with him forever. So church, when we look at the current state of being and wonder what in the world is going on, what in the world is happening with our, our country, with our culture, with, with, with people groups, when we look at it and we see everything that's happening and we ask that gut-wrenching question, what in the world, may we understand that there is this love for the world that is contrary for this love of God. And what it does is it just reveals hearts. Does it not? 
When we as the church, when we as believers step back for just a moment and we look at it and we see all that's, that's un, unfolding and unraveling in our world, what it does for us is it allows us to see at the core of man what's happening. And there is this love and this desire and this longing that's contrary to Jesus. So when we ask that question and we look at it, we can see that there's, there's a love that's been misplaced. There's been a love that has promised something that it'll never be able to fulfill and give. But church, there's one that will. And it's that love for Jesus. So, so hear me this morning because every heart loves something. Every, every person alive, that's, that's the truth, that's the reality. We, we all love something, we all have this longing for something, we all want something. Hear me, there is nobody watching this or who will one day watch this sermon that doesn't want something or doesn't have a love and a desire and a longing for something. But the problem is far too many people in this world has tried to scratch that itch with the things of the world and not the one who can fulfill it forever. And that's just where we live right now. And so what we see is our world running after what it loves. And our world loves self far too much. And doesn't love Jesus near enough. So what in the world is that our love has been directed toward things that cannot handle and sustain that kind of pressure? So when we look at the current state, when we see the current state, that's what we see. And so church, how do we respond? We show this world what the love of Jesus looks like. We show this world what a longing and yearning and desire for that of Jesus looks like, what that looks like lived out, how we love our neighbors, how we serve the lowly, how we do a number of things that represents Jesus and shows Jesus and points our love to Jesus. Why? Because we're going to walk in his will. We're going to do what he would ask us. We're going to keep his commandments. Why? Because we love him and as we love him and get to know him, we're going to live him out all the more. And that's what we're to do. That's what's contrary to the world. That's how we respond Christian, that's how we respond, church. So maybe for you this morning, God, by way of the Holy Spirit, has just made you aware of your great need and love for him to be supreme. Maybe he stirred in you, and if that's the case, man, I just want to encourage you this morning to take that step of faith and believe in who Jesus is and all that he has done and enter into relationship with him and allow your desires and your longings and your yearnings to be fulfilled with a love relationship with him. And if that's the case for you this morning, Whereby in watching this, you say, yes, yes, I need Jesus. I want him to be the greatest love of my life. And for the first time, you enter into a relationship with him. If that's you, man, I just beg of you, man, just enter into that relationship through faith. Man, let us know. We would love to be able to walk with you, to pray with you, to help you out any way possible. But, but maybe for you, you do love him and you just have not done a good job of putting your faith in him and living that out, that love relationship out all the more like you should. And so maybe for you this morning, what God has done is he stirred in your heart this reality of some things that you love over him. Some things that you run after that's contrary to him. And so if that's the case, man, what I would encourage you to do is if you belong to Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit start to start to convict and start to draw you back to him and allow that love and that desire and that longing and yearning for him to be overtaken in him. Man, and you repent and you pray and you beg God to break your heart over the things of this world. And to give you a greater, greater taste and desire for the things of him. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God has stirred in your heart. But man, I encourage you that, that you respond as, as Matt and Hannah lead us this morning in a time of response and reflection. 
man, you just be obedient to whatever God is calling you to. And so if you want to there in your living room floor, just spend a moment just praying or spend a moment just singing. But man, you reflect on all the things that God has said to you this morning through way of his word. Father, we love you, Jesus. We need you. Speak in this moment. God, touch hearts and move in a mighty way. Father, give us a greater desire for you. Just then we pray. Amen.